Again, as I, I said when we, we started, um, I just really miss, Lucy and I really miss being with you, the church. And we really miss uh, having to, to be able to come together and to just worship together and celebrate and to do things during the week. I just want you to know we miss you guys. That's one reason I encourage you to put just a, a video up of your family, maybe giving a shout out, maybe giving a hi. Doesn't have to be long, five seconds, 10 seconds, 20 seconds, whatever, you know, just to encourage people on. Uh, we're going to be doing some other things this week to hopefully help connect. I'm going to be doing some more devotionals. Our staff will be doing some devotionals. Um, but we just want to encourage you on that. The other thing is um, I mentioned about helping uh, with those in our healthcare, especially those in the ER departments, because in times like this, morale can get very low because they're so uh, stressed and just so much going on. And even though it's a little thing, it's a little thing that means a lot. And so uh, we're providing just snack stuff like chocolates, candies, um, granola bars, you know, those types of things that are packaged that we have somebody that works there that's going to be able to take those and just put them in a bowl for all the staff to just come and grab something. It's just an encouragement. And so um, just let me know. You can text me. Uh, you can email me. You can message me, whatever. And I can let you know when you can drop those off at the church. But I want to encourage our church family on that. As I thought about this week, what I wanted to share with you, um, God really brought me to this. Um, because in times that like we're going through, I think one of the things that we forget sometimes, or maybe just lose sight of, and that is just how big our God really is. Because it just seems like as we look out on the world and we, we see and hear the news reports, and, and you, can, you can basically hear what you want to hear because there are so many different reports on so many different angles. But I think we lose sight of the bigness of God. Somebody wrote, Christianity at any given time is, is strong or weak depending upon her concept of God. The basic trouble with the church today is her unworthy concept of him. In other words, it's a lack of understanding of how great and how big our God is. As we begin, I want to show you a box. It's just an ordinary small box. Um, and it's just big enough to put stuff in, but it's still small enough that we can handle it, that we can get our arms around it if we have to, that we can carry it. I mean, you can handle it with not too much trouble. Now, here's why I'm showing you this. Because this box represents how many of us live our lives. I mean, we tend to have several of these boxes that are just big enough to hold our different concepts of God, but not so big that we can't handle them on our own. So we say, okay, God... I believe this about you, so let's put you in that box. And God, I believe this about you, so I'm going to put you in this other box. And all of a sudden, we just keep filling boxes, small boxes, as we create this new home for our God. And there may be a lot of reasons why you have these boxes. But I'm hoping that after today, that you'll begin to understand that no matter how many boxes you have, no matter how big they may be, how small they may be, they still cannot contain God. They can still 
They still cannot keep him in. The truth is, God doesn't do boxes. He's way too big to fit into anything that you'll ever try to put him in. So let me ask you, what would happen if our concept of God changed? I mean, what could he do through you and me? Or what could he do through this church or another church if we just stopped putting him in boxes and we just opened them up and set him free to do whatever he wants to do, to do what only he can do, to allow him to demonstrate just how awesome and how powerful he really is. And so for the next few moments, I want to look at some of the boxes that we've created for God that's keeping us from being who he's created you and me to be. And we'll do this by looking at a very familiar story. In fact, it's the story of David before and after he was anointed king. And what we'll discover will hopefully help us to set our God free. So if you got your Bibles at home, here's what I want you to do. I want you to open them up to Samuel chapter 16. Samuel chapter 16. And we're just going to kind of be going through a couple, couple passages here. Uh, but you can kind of follow along at home. Or uh, you'll be able to follow along on the screen as well. But let's pray and then we'll dive into this. Father, we just thank you again for this day. Thank you for all you do, God. What an amazing God you are. And even in the midst of all the craziness, God, you are still in control. You're still on your throne. And so today we just want to glorify you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. As we come into chapter 16, David's roughly around 15 years old. And he's working as a shepherd, taking care of his father, Jesse's sheep and goats. But David also loves to play music. All you have to do is look and write songs. All you have to do is look at the book of Psalms, and, and you can see that David was very gifted in that. But he also loved to practice with his slingshot. So he would be out in the field just singing, watching sheep, and slinging rocks. I mean, that's basically what his day would be comprised of. Now, as we come into chapter 16, this is a, a very significant day in the life of David, but also in the life of his family, because the prophet Samuel has come to Bethlehem to anoint the next king of Israel. Now, David has seven brothers, and as far as Samuel knows, they're all great candidates for the job of king. So at Samuel's request, Jesse gets his boys ready for the big day. All of them, except for David. He's out watching sheep. And when they come before Samuel, he meets the first son. And here's what we read in verse 6 of chapter 16. Look what it says. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, Surely this is the Lord's anointed. I mean, it's like Samuel's going, Okay, God. Are you seeing what I'm seeing? I mean, look at his resume. Look at his stature. He is a natural-born leader. Send the rest of the brothers back to their rooms because I have found the next king of Israel. But Samuel's choice is not God's choice, which brings me to the first box. The first box 
that we as well as Samuel tend to have in our life. It's that box we tend to put, put that concept of God in. It's simply this. It's the box of God's anointing. The box of God's anointing. In other words, it's the box with the subtitle that simply reads, The People God Will Use. The people God will use. You see, in Samuel's mind, he knew the type of person that God was going to use. I mean, that's why when he saw Eliab, he thought, hey, this is the guy right here. And that's why he based his decision upon what he sees. But look at verse 7. Because God puts a different spin on it. Look what it says. Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And unfortunately, we have the same God box, don't we? I mean, we have the same box that's subtitled, the people God will use. And so we assume that he is only going to use a certain type of person. You know, those who look right, who dress like right, who have a degree, who read the right books, who are wired the right way, who have all the right talents, who have all the right gifts, you know, those people that have coffee with Jesus every morning. And because we may not fit that mold, we struggle with never really feeling like God can use us in our life because we're not like that. We're not one of those people God can use. And so we put our concept of his anointing in a box and we tape it shut and we set it aside. And I think God wants to yell out, don't put my anointing in a box because I'm going to use people that you would never think I would use, including you. Don't put my anointing in a box. I will use whoever I want to use, including you. And so today, maybe you need to open that box you've put his anointing in. That box that says, God, I see all these other people that you use, but I'm not like them. You need to free God to work in and through your life because he wants to use you. And so as the story continues on, Samuel works his way through all the other brothers, but none of them are God's choice. And then he discovers that there's one more son. His name is David. And so Jesse says, well, there is one more, but he's the youngest and he's out tending sheep. Now, here's what's interesting. The Hebrew word for youngest means the runt of the litter. You hear what Jesse is saying to Samuel? Yeah, I've got one more son, but he's just a runt. <laughs> he's just a runt of the litter. But I'll tell you what, if you want to look at him, I'll go get him. So in verse 12, look what it says. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one. This is the one. Anoint him. And on that day, David is anointed the next king of Israel. Now here's my first takeaway. And it's this. God uses people you would never expect, including you. You get that? God uses people you never expect, including you. And as we have seen in this passage, God's choice of David is no different. He comes in from the outside, fresh from the pasture, 
smelling like sheep and goat poo, while his brothers are all decked out in their Sabbath best. And yet David's the one that God chooses. Never forget, God's not looking at the outward. He's looking at the heart. He's looking for those who are available, who want to be used, whose hearts are surrendered to him. That's who God's looking for. And here's the thing. The picture we get of God throughout the Bible is simply this. He can and will use anybody who's willing to be used. In fact, he chose a poor teenage girl named Mary to be the mother of the Messiah. He chose a sinful and hated tax collector named Matthew to be a disciple. He chose an uneducated fisherman named Peter to set the church on fire. He chose a persecutor of Christians named Saul who became Paul to write most of the New Testament. Let me tell you, God can and God will use whoever he wants. So stop putting his anointing in a box. God will use whomever he wants to use to do the his kingdom work. And again, that includes you. Now back to our story. So after David's anointed king, he initially goes back to being a shepherd. And then he gets a second job playing the harp for King Saul. Now he must have thought, God, when are you going to do something? I mean, I've been anointed king, but all of a sudden I'm just back tending sheep, and now I'm playing harp for the present king. I mean, when's my big opportunity going to come? I mean, it must have seemed like a long way from the throne when all you're doing is watching sheep and playing the harp for a crazy, possessed king. Which brings me to our second box that we tend to have. It's the box of God's timing. The box of God's timing. This is where we take the circumstances of life, those things we are going through, and we shove them in this box. And we say, God, I just can't see how anything good could ever come from these things that I'm going through. I just can't see it, God. There's sickness. There's loss of jobs. There's whatever. All the circumstances of life. And we think, God, how are these things going to come together for my good? And let me be very honest with you. This type of reasoning demonstrates that you still have a small concept of God. I think that for David, this could have been an issue. He may have been thinking, God, I'm not sure what you are doing, but whatever it is, I don't see how these things play into my story. But by the time you get to chapter 17, all of a sudden things are about to change. All of a sudden, he begins to see how God's timing has been playing out. <coughs> Bradley, would you get me a bottle of water, please? Thank you. We forgot that humidifier, didn't we? Yeah, it would have been nice this way. Now, as at this time, as we come into chapter 17, David's around 20 years old. Not quite, but just almost 20, because he's not old enough yet to fight with the army. But yet there's a war going on, a battle. In fact, his brothers are, are out in the field, and they are fighting. And so Jesse, his dad, calls him in and simply says, Hey, uh, the Israelites are fighting the Philistines, and your brothers are out fighting. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go check on them and take them some food to eat. 
And so David goes out to where the Israelites are supposedly fighting, but there is no fighting going on. Instead, there's just this big giant by the name of Goliath who's mocking the armies of God. And the Philistines have challenged the Israelites to a fight. They basically say this, we'll put our best warrior who's standing right here. His name is Goliath. You see him? Oh, yeah, I think you can because he's really big. He's right here. We're going to put him up against your best warrior. And let me tell you, whoever loses, then their nation becomes the slaves of the victorious nation. Now, the Bible says in verse 11 that when Saul and their Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. But when David hears the challenge, look what it says in verse 26, chapter 17. He says, who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And so David goes to Saul and says, look, don't worry about this giant. I'll teach him not to defy the name of God. And Saul looks at him and says, whoa, 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 wait, now wait a minute. You're just a young harpist who plays and sings to me and to sheep. What are you going to do, hit him over the head with your harp? Come on. I mean, I'm not going to let you go out and fight this giant when my head's on the line. But look what David says down in verses 34 through 37. But David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club, and I rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw, and I club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I will do it to this pagan Philistine. For he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Here's my second takeaway. God will use the circumstances of life to prepare us for opportunities for him to do the impossible. But it's going to happen in his timing, not ours. God's going to prepare you. He's going to use the circumstances of life. He is writing your story, but he is upstream as he writes. And he's already a chapter ahead. And he is preparing you and using those things in your life so that he can do the impossible through you to give you those opportunities. But again, it's in his timing. You see, here's what we tend to forget. Even though David may not have realized that all the time he was flinging rocks, all the times he defended and protected his sheep, God was preparing him for this very moment. And, then, and, and just like David, you may not realize that God's preparing you right now for something that's down the road or something that's around the next turn. And hear me on this. He will not waste the circumstances that you face. He's not going to waste them. He will take whatever you are going through and he will use it to prepare you for something good. To prepare you for something that will bring glory to his name. So the question we should be asking is not, why are these things happening to me? But the question should be, God, what are you preparing me to do in the future? What giant are you wanting me to slay? 
Now, as we come back to our story, we discover a third box that sets the tone, really, for the other two, because it's literally the God box. It's the God box. You know, the one that says, my God is too small to overcome the giants that I face in my life. And so, God, this is your space. This is your box. This is your new home. And there may be a lot of reasons why you have your God box. In fact, back in verse 11, it said that Saul and the army of Israel were scared to death. Why? Because they had a small God that they had put in a small box. And it brought fear into their life. And they were dominated by it. And here's why we can't do that. Because if your God fits in a box, then you'll live a life dominated by fear and anxiety and stress and pressure. Why? Because your God isn't big enough to handle the stuff you're going through. And those things will make you feel hopeless because your God isn't big enough to fix and to heal and to give you peace and hope when you need it the most. And so as we come back to our story, Saul doesn't have another choice. Nobody else is going to step up to face Goliath. And so David goes out to fight with nothing but a slingshot and an incredible amount of faith in a God that's bigger than any giant. I love the last part of verse 47. Look what it says. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. David's just looking right in the eyes of Goliath. And he's saying, this is the Lord's battle. And he's going to give you to us. Now, I've underlined that phrase, and you can see on the screen, this is the Lord's battle. You know why? Because we have to be reminded on a daily basis that everything we go through, the things we face, this is the Lord's battle. It's the Lord's battle. And he will, he will give us what, what he... What, what he wants to do in our life, and he's going to bring those things in his timing. But it's his battle, it's not ours. We tend to go out and we tend to fight like everything depends on us. But the reality is everything depends on him. Because it's his battle. And we just have to fight in faith and trust that he is going to take whatever little that we seem to have. After all, I mean, think about it. David had no armor. He had a slingshot and a rock. And yet when it was all said and done, who was the victor? Because the Lord fought the battle. Now, let me tell you, if that doesn't get you excited, nothing's going to. Which brings me to my third takeaway, and it's simply this. There's nothing you will ever face that's too big for God. Nothing. Nothing you'll ever face is too big for God. Saul and the army of Israel were scared to death because they had a small God that they had put in a small box. And when that happens in our life, we will always be consumed with fear and doubt and will always ask the what-if questions. So for Saul, it was what if Goliath wins? What if our nation becomes slaves? What if they take our land? For us... Maybe it's, what if the economy doesn't recover when I think it should? What if we can't overcome the coronavirus? What if I spend the rest of my life alone? What if, what if, what if? And when your God lives in a box, the what ifs will dominate your life. It will dominate. You see, the key for David was this. He knew that God was still in control. 
That's why when the dust settled, Goliath was dead and God was glorified. Here's the thing. Saul and all of Israel was focused on a giant named Goliath. David was focused on a God who was more awesome and more powerful than anyone else. So let me ask you, what do you see when you face the giants of life? What do you see? Whose strength are you relying on? Yours or God? Who's fighting the battle for you? Let's reflect. So let me ask you, do you believe that God can use anybody to do anything at any time, regardless of the circumstances, including you? Do you believe that? I mean, do, do you believe that God is preparing you for what he has for you in the future? I mean, do you believe that? Do you believe that God is bigger than any giant that you'll ever face? Do you believe it? Because if you don't believe it, then maybe your God is too small. And if you're not sure how big or how small your God is, then maybe this will help you to determine if you put your God in a box or not. Hear this. If you want your God to, to take... Let me, let me start this that way. If you want your God to make your life comfortable and convenient, if you treat him like a magic genie that exists to grant your every wish, if you want him to operate on your timetable and your calendar, if you want to play it safe and take no risks, then let me tell you, your God is too small. He's too small. If your God says your marriage is too messed up, your family is too fractured, you're too young, too old, too broken, too poor, or too guilty to be used, then your God is too small. And if your God has never wrecked your schedule or messed up your plans, if he never asked you to do something that you thought you couldn't do, if he has never filled your eyes with tears because of his grace or taken away your breath because of his power, then your God is too small. Let me be very honest with you. If that's your God, then it is time to open up the boxes that you've kept him in. And you need to set him free to be who he is and who he wants to be. Not only in your life, but in the life of this church and in all of our lives. Open the box, set him free to be God. And as we go through this time that we face this virus, let me tell you, it is so important that we, we remember just how big our God is. That we don't go put him in a box because we think he can't overcome this. The battle is his. And he will fight for us. And when this is all said and done, he will be glorified. Pray with me. Lord, I thank you for this day again, for the chance we have to come together, even if it's in this format, to be the church. God, help us. Please help us to remember how big and awesome you are, how great you are, how holy you are, so that we never forget who's in control and who's on the throne. God, we love you and we praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
We're going to do something different in just a moment. I apologize, I'm very dry. We had a hose on to have them spray me down, I guess, but we won't do that. But if you got my um, emails last night and saw our Facebook post, um, you know that what we want to encourage you on, and Gary, you can go ahead and take the lights down if you would. You know, what I want to encourage you on as a family, as you are there today, is when we finish in just a moment, I would encourage you to just spend some time with your family in communion, to remember what our God has done, and to remember not only the price that was paid through Christ, but the power that was revealed through the resurrection, because our God is so awesome. So as a family, we want to just encourage you to celebrate the Lord's Supper. We, I was able to send you out uh, just kind of a, a study guide, so to speak, of how you can do communion with your family today. And so as soon as we're done, if you've got some juice around the house, whatever it is, some bread, crackers, whatever, bring your family together, sit around the floor, sit around the table, wherever you need to be, and just spend some time focusing on our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ.